I said this first service, uh, feels like ages since I've been kind of in this spot to preach. Um, Tim has kind of shouldered the load of the preaching for the last month as I've helped get us ready for our move to Trail Ridge. Um, so I've actually, I've missed, I really missed uh, opening God's word uh, with you here um, from this space and actually realized this morning, this is my final time to preach from right here, which is crazy. So, uh, but excited to be together this morning. And as always, um, let's, before we jump into this difficult text, let's go to God in prayer and ask uh, for help, his help. So let's pray. Father in heaven, may your voice be sweeter. As we just sang, may your voice be sweeter and clearer uh, than, than all the others in these coming moments as we fight to keep our eyes fixed on you, our hearts and our minds um, fixed to you and what you have to say in the midst of all that we bring uh, with us into this space. We don't put our lives on hold for worship, but we come together to sing and to hear and to pray in the middle of the mess, uh, knowing that you have good news for everything that weighs us down and that threatens to break us. Um, God, so whatever I say this morning that is of myself, uh, I pray would quickly fall away, but where I speak your words after you, with you, through you even, would you do what only you can do in changing the hearts and minds of your people to be more like yours. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start uh, this morning with a very simple, very basic, but very important question that will really guide the whole sermon. Um, And the question is this, what does it look like to follow Jesus? I mean, really, what does it really mean to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of his? I mean, my hunch is that we're all here this morning uh, because we have, we're at least a little bit interested in that question, right? To hear more about who this Jesus is and what his, be- what his bearing should be on our lives, right? And maybe some of you are here this morning with some serious questions. You're skeptical of uh, the fact that Jesus, you're skeptical of whether or not he, sa- he is who he says he is. Uh, you're skeptical of this whole thing, and that's okay. Others of you are bought in, right? You call, um, you call him Lord. But whether you're committed to him or not, we all need Uh, to ask this question. It's worth asking, what does a life of following Jesus entail? What difference does it make? What does it really mean to follow this Messiah King that we've encountered in the book of Matthew so far? And I've answered this question, as I thought about it this week, I've answered this question a number of ways uh, throughout my life as a kid, or at least as I look back on my childhood. I thought following Jesus meant memorizing uh, and reciting enough Bible verses to get me an award at Awana, which is, uh, many of you laugh because you know what Awana is. It's, this, uh, it's, a, it's a Bible memorization program, right, that you go through as a kid. And I knew on Wednesdays, six verses got me enough uh, for, was enough for a crunch bar on Wednesday night. So that was my, that was my goal, right? That's, that's what Christ, being a Christian was for me as a kid, knowing the Bible well enough to tell it back to other people, right? Nothing against Awana, I love Awana, but uh, that's what it was for me as a child. In my teen years, it was a couple things. Right at the top of the list would have been staying out of trouble, right? Not doing the really bad things, or at least not getting caught doing the really bad things, right? Not letting people know that I had mess in my life. Following the rules, keeping up appearances, um, making lots of friends, and then not letting them down. I mean, that's, that was, for me, what it meant to be a Christian. I tried very hard at those things because I thought my faith depended on it, truly. I, I went to a private Christian high school from 
or from second grade on through until I graduated. And one thing that we did at our high school, which um, for better or for worse, is a, a senior in their senior class would get what is called the Christian Leadership Award, which in my mind was just like the best Christian in your class award. And I got that as a senior, right? Because I tried very hard at being that guy, right? That looked the part. Acceptance, appearance, achievement, those were all very central to my life's answer to this question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And in college, uh, I added mission. I added, what am I doing for Jesus? I added that to the mix, kind of what, how I answered this question. Am I building a successful personal Christian ministry uh, at K-State? That was, that was where I went. And of course, there are worse ways to answer this question of what does it mean to follow Jesus in college? There are worse things to do, but that's how, I, that's how I answered this question. And now as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, the question for me remains, what does it really look like to follow Jesus? We all need to build our lives around a good answer to this question. You need to build your life around a good, the right answer to this question. And in many ways, Jesus has been addressing this uh, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, right? This section of Matthew from chapters 5 through 7, we've been in it for a little while. He's been answering this question, and he's addressed our heart issues, right? Our anger, our lust, our worry. He's, He's addressed our audience problem, this fact that we tend to live for the approval of others as opposed to in front of an audience of one for his approval only. He's addressed our judgmental spirits last week. The fact that we, we tend to, to try to get that speck out of someone else's eye while like, we're hitting them with the two-by-four that's coming out of our own, right? He's really pinned us down in the Sermon on the Mount, right? He's gotten right at the heart of who we are. And he's shown us that the life he offers is way better than one that we attempt without him. He's shown us the good life in an upside-down kind of way. He flips it upside-down. And as we approach the beginning of the end of this sermon, these, these last two weeks, this week and next, um, Jesus concludes with a warning. Uh, and today we'll see there's a three-part warning made up of several contrasts. Um, we'll see two gates contrasted in our text, two trees, and two people. And basically, Jesus is setting up the contrast between those who follow him and those who do not. And for me, it has been an incredibly sobering week to encounter this question over and over and over again, what does it mean to follow Jesus, and am I? So let's dive in. Let's see what he says. Um, We are in Matthew 7, starting in verse 13. So if you have a Bible, open it up and and go there. Um, There are also Bibles on the back table. You can grab one, and if you don't have a Bible, you can take that Bible uh, home with you. Um, But we're starting in verse 13, and look and listen for the contrast between these two gates. We just heard this this passage read, but listen again carefully. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So there's a wide gate, right? There's a narrow gate. There's an easy road and a hard road. There are many who find one and only a few who find the other. And then there's this contrast between where they're going, right? One leads to destruction and one leads 
to life. So Jesus paints a picture between, uh, really of two roads set before all people. And we all have to choose, or we all do choose, one or the other. One way is clearly, uh, it's more obvious, it's more inviting, it's wide open and spacious. And many choose this road, right? It's the, it's the path of least resistance, the preference of the crowd, the way that everyone is going. And, and Jesus, I mean, he uses a picture that's familiar to us, right? We, we, we know the phrase kind of to follow the crowd usually has some bad connotations, right? We talk, when we talk to our, to our kids or others about resisting peer pressure or not to do drugs or whatever it is, right? We say, well, don't follow the crowd. You know, if so-and-so were doing that, would you, if they were walking off a cliff, would you follow them off a cliff? No, right? We, we use this argument. Would you follow the crowd if they were going off a cliff? That's our go-to argument to the absurd, and it's because it works, right? Just because something, something is popular doesn't mean it's the best way to go. And Jesus actually raises the bar and says, if everyone's doing it, you're probably on the wrong road. Now, the narrow gate, by contrast, takes careful searching to find. Jesus says that few find it, right? The, the wide road is full of people who actually never chose to be there, right? They just wandered to it. It's the, it's the way that everyone's going, and so it's easy. But no one wanders to this hard road. No one just stumbles upon this narrow gate, which is why the crowd is thin. It's off the beaten path. And for good reason, it's hard. The picture that, that Jesus paints, the word he uses there is the meaning is one of compression, of pressing in, of crushing from all sides. It's, it's like walking down a hall where the, where the walls are always closing on, in on you and crushing you. That's the picture. But Jesus says this, this hard road that, that comes after the narrow gate is the one that leads to life. It's more satisfying. It's the good life in an upside-down kind of way, right? Jesus flips it up upside-down again. Back in, in Matthew 5, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted, who suffer for the sake of Jesus, who are afflicted. And that's what he's saying here. Those are the ones on the hard road the hard road that leads to good things. And the, the picture is simple enough, right? We get it. There's, a, there's an easy road and a hard road. One's got a narrow gate. One's got a wide one. One leads to life. One leads to death. It's a simple teaching, but I'm going to try to give it a little, some handles uh, because this can stay really abstract kind of in the picture world. Uh, and we can fail if, if we're not careful to bring it back down into reality, into our everyday lives. So I'm going to illustrate the point by talking about two things that are really central to, our, to the Christian faith, which are confession and forgiveness. Confession of sin and forgiveness of sin, right? You can't talk about following Jesus without talking about confession of sin and forgiveness of sin. That's the entrance point to the Christian faith, right? Admitting, saying, hey, I need, I need a savior. I need to be rescued. I can't do it myself. And I know that Jesus is the only way. He's the narrow gate, the way to life, right? This is the entrance point in to the Christian faith. And Jesus stands ready to forgive. Right? It's, what's, it's what makes this good news. It's what sets, sets Christianity apart from everything else. We have a perfect God who came near, took our place, and forgives sin. It's the entrance point into our faith. But, but it, it, it isn't just that, right? It's not just the beginning of the, of the Christian faith. These are daily realities for someone who says, I follow Jesus. So I, I, won't, I won't just make this concrete. I'll make it uh, personal. There is nothing harder for me than admitting 
my failures to another person, particularly to Beth, especially when I've wronged her. There's nothing harder for me to do. Remember what I, what I told you about the way that I've answered this, my life's, this question with my life, right? Acceptance, appearances, success. That's how I've answered this question about what it means to follow Jesus. Confession of sin flies in the face of all that, right? At least on the surface. But that's the hard way. Confession of sin to someone else. That is not easy to do, right? We don't, you don't just stumble into that road. It's not popular. It's not comfortable. It's way easier to hide your flaws, right? To keep up appearances, to stay with the crowd of people just trying to maintain, trying to hold it together. That's easier. But that is the road to death, both now and later. Trying to hide your sin, refusing to admit your failures to others, especially those that have wronged you or that you've wronged. That is, that is a road that goes over a cliff. Confession, though, confession of sin leads to life and peace and rest and wholeness. Because what we really need is to be known and loved. Right? I need that. You need that. That's the hard way, but it's the good way. It's the way that leads to life. There's also nothing harder than forgiving someone who has wronged you. Forgiveness feels like death, a crushing, pressing in, walls closing in kind of death. Why? Because you're absorbing the pain and suffering that is due someone else. That's, that is what forgiveness is, right? Saying, hey, I'll take it. I'll take that burden. But it leads to life. I mean, ask anybody who has taken the popular, easy road of revenge or of grudges or of bitterness, right? That's, that's the easiest way to deal with someone who's wronged you. But ask them where that road leads, and they will tell you it goes right off a cliff. That is a, that is a terrible way to live. Now and later, the way of Jesus is the way of forgiveness. And we can only forgive if we follow in his footsteps. It's not possible any other way. Now, these are just, I'm, I'm just using these as two examples of what it means to take the hard road that leads to life as opposed to an easy way. I mean, there, are, there are a number of other examples we could choose, right? Whether it's, it's, what you believe, whether it's proclaiming what you believe, even though you know you're, you're going to suffer, suffer for it, be persecuted for it. That may be in your workplace. That may be at school. I mean, there, there are a number of other ways that we could illustrate this. But what Jesus is saying is there is a way that leads to life and there is a way that leads to death. One is very hard. And one is easy. Everyone's doing it. But you need the way of Jesus. His way leads to life. So take an inventory right now. This is the question that's been rattling around for me this week. Is, is your version of, Jesus follow, uh, of following Jesus easy? Is it easy? Is it wide open and spacious? Or is it hard? Does your life stand out from what others are doing, the way they're responding to life? Does it cost you anything to follow Jesus? Because the cost is great. I mean, that is, that is true. Some have, some have called it the cost of discipleship. I mean, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's uh, great work is entitled The Cost of Discipleship, and we will get there in Matthew. We will get to more of this language of a costly 
following of Jesus. It's a hard road. But the cost of not following Jesus is much, much, much greater. Dallas Willard has talked about this as the cost of non-discipleship. A cost that's much higher. And he said it, he said it like this. He says, non-discipleship costs abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love, faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for the good, hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging circumstances, power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, non-discipleship costs you, the easy road costs you, Exactly that abundance of life Jesus said he came to bring. Following Jesus may be unpopular, may be uncomfortable, but it is the way to abundant life. It will cost you, sure, that is true, and we ought to count the cost. But it's far costlier to walk off a cliff now and, and on judgment day. Now, some will tell you otherwise, though, right? Take the easy way. And that's the next point this morning. What does it look like to follow Jesus? First, you won't be popular or comfortable. Second, you have to look out for counterfeits. You have to look out for counterfeits. Look down at verse uh, 15 with me. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Or figs from thistles? Uh, No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, I've always thought of this passage as... I mean, every time I come to this passage, I kind of think, well, okay, I need to bear good fruit. That's, that's what Jesus is getting at here. I, I skip right over the very beginning, and I think it's about myself bearing good fruit, which Jesus says elsewhere, and that is important. But here, the point is, here he's talking about dangers around us of counterfeits who appear to be helping us, but are actually really dangerous. This is about false prophets. This is what this text is getting at. And he says, beware of them. They look innocent like sheep, but they're ravenous wolves waiting to destroy you. And these are spiritual leaders, pastors, teachers, influencers, and he says, be careful. Test their authenticity by looking at their fruit, at the way they live, at what is produced in their lives. That's how you can spot a wolf, Jesus says. Because the reality is we all what we do is, is a, a product of who we are. That is true. That's what he means. That's, that's why he's setting up this picture of the trees, right? A healthy tree bears good fruit. A diseased tree bears bad fruit. You can, the proof is in the pudding, right? But here, Jesus says you have to get close enough to tell. Which is a good fruit, which is good fruit and which is bad. And he does so by talking about thorn bushes and grapes, um, these thorn bushes would often produce these little poisonous berries um, that from a distance kind of looked like grapes. So unless you got really close to this bush, close enough to examine it, you might think you uh, were approaching some good grapes that were good for food. But a closer look obviously would clear it up, right? This is a bad bush. 
These are poisonous. Not only are they not good for good food, they are going to kill me. There's no life here. And that's the point. There are spiritual leaders like that, is what Jesus is saying. Pastors and teachers and influencers who look harmless. Actually, who look like they'll lead you to life. But in fact, will destroy you. And again, this has been a sobering text for me this week. Because Jesus is looking squarely at spiritual leaders here. And he's saying to his current and would-be followers, get close enough to spot a counterfeit. They're good for nothing but firewood, right? In the end, they'll be cut down and thrown in the fire. Don't waste your time following these prophets. In fact, they'll lead you off a cliff. So I'll say to you this morning with as much conviction as I can muster in my heart, get close to your leaders. Get close to those that you're following. Watch them. Watch us. Watch me. Look for fruit. Jesus isn't talking about charisma or good public speaking skills or even solid ministry strategy or philosophy. Those can be faked. No, he says, look for character. Good trees make good fruit. You need to be close enough to tell the difference. Look for people on the hard road, right? Those who have entered by the narrow gate who are leading others to life. The test, Jesus says, is certain. You will know them by their fruits. He says it twice, right? So he means it. You can spot a counterfeit, a wolf in sheep's clothing. But judging this way, judging rightly, which is what we talked about last week, right? It's not necessarily easy or quick. It takes time. It takes relationship. And believe me, everything, everything within me wants to take back what I've just, told, what I've just asked you to do. Because I am a desperate sinner with a wicked heart. And you'll see that if you get close enough. Believe me. But I'm okay with that because you'll also see God's grace on full display. By his grace, I'm being made new. I'm fighting to stay on the hard road that leads to life. Get close enough to tell. And it's not just within these walls or in the church that you, that you need to look out for counterfeits. I mean, we can literally all follow hundreds or thousands of people, whether it's on Twitter or listening to podcasts or whatever it is. I mean, there are a lot of voices out there to listen to. So be careful. Heed Jesus' warning here, right? Test what you hear against the Bible. Learn all you can about the, the, li- the fruit of the lives of people that you're following. And if you ever have a question about someone that you're listening to or reading or whatever it is, please don't hesitate to ask. Come to us. We want to help to help you discern. Jesus says to look out for fakers, to watch for counterfeits, and we, we can't do that unless we take seriously what we heard last week, right? We have to learn to judge rightly. To see clearly, we have to, we have to get rid of the two-by-four that is sticking out of our own face. Because that... <laughs> Sometimes we'll follow a wolf because we can't see rightly, right? And that leads us to the final warning for this morning. You won't be popular or comfortable. 
You have to look out for counterfeits, and you can't trust yourself. You can't trust yourself. It's the hardest one. Uh, What does it mean to follow Jesus? You can't rely on yourself. You can't trust in yourself. And here's what I mean. There are counterfeit leaders, Jesus says, those that you need to be aware of, and there are also counterfeit followers. Self-deception is real. Jesus is bringing this out. Those who feel legit, right? They look successful. They're successful in ministry. They always say the right things. They have the right doctrine. But it's not enough. Look what Jesus says, um, verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Master, Master, Teacher, Teacher, not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I mean, this is one of the scariest passages in all the Bible. I mean, for me, at least it is. This was the the cherry on top of a sobering text this week. Because there are people whose words, whose doctrine, whose ministry success, all those things look like the real deal. I mean, you're convinced, they're convinced. Everyone is convinced, but Jesus, right? Everyone is impressed by their lives, but the one who at the the end of the day gets to say whether or not they are in the kingdom of, of heaven or not. Which, by the way, is a shocking thing that Jesus is claiming right here. I am the son of God, and I am the one that gets to stand in judgment. And he's pretty clear here, right? Calling Jesus your Lord and Savior, this, a profession of faith with your words, is not enough. That is not going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. Preaching in his name, prophesying in his name, that is not enough. And if there is anything as a pastor that I am tempted to rely upon for whether or not I am the real deal, it is this right here. But Jesus says, no, that's not enough. A successful ministry isn't enough. None of those things are sufficient. It's not the ones who look spiritual or who look like they have it all together. It's not the ones who think they have all the right answers or those who have the right rules to follow. What matters is knowing Jesus and doing what he says. It's those who do the will of the Father who is in heaven. It's those who obey. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. I mean, it seems simple now. that we, The answer to the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus, is to know him and do what he wants you to do. You obey because you know him, because you trust him. And you believe that his way leads to life. There's a vital, trusting relationship that, that leads to obedience, to doing what he says. Now, the the religious person, their trust is in themselves, right? Look at my words. Look at my doctrine. Man, I got it all right. All the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Look Look at these miracles. I've done miracles in your name. Look at all of the things that I have done in your name. 
but they don't know Jesus. They don't trust him. Not really. Their faith is placed in themselves, not really in him. So we've got to ask ourselves, as we encounter this text, you have to ask yourself, who am I really trusting? Dallas Willard, again, who I quoted earlier, who's just brilliant in the book of Matthew, he, he once said the greatest mission field in America is the church. Right? Because in every church there are those who, who may think they're Christians but are not. Because going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Knowing a lot about the Bible does not make you a Christian. Knowing good theology, in fact, does not make you a Christian. Serving, giving, being a kind person, these things are good things, right? They are part of the deal. They come with the territory of following Jesus, but they are not what makes you a Christian, right? Faith in Jesus, that alone, by the grace of God, is what makes you a Christian, So I ask you this morning, have you given your life to this Jesus? Have you truly trusted him? Have you said to him, I am yours and I will go on the hard way. I will go through the narrow gate. The narrow gate being him. I will go through you where there is life. If you haven't, if you haven't trusted this Jesus, what is stopping you this morning? He says, the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That may be what's stopping you this morning. Everyone else is going a different way, right? It's an easier way. It's the way that everyone's going. But there's life somewhere else. Wholeness and forgiveness somewhere else. Meaning and satisfaction. The chance to be known and loved. You will not find that anywhere else in the world. There is nowhere else that you can be fully, fully, fully known and loved. That is the beautiful good news of this gospel that we have. That we have a king, Messiah, the son of God who has come to be like us, right? And then died and then rose again to give us new life. Is it easy? No. It's the hard road. And listen, you may struggle with this. I struggle too. The disciples struggled. In John 6, uh, they're they're finding it hard. They're finding the, the hard road hard, believe it or not. And some of them are turning around. And they're grumbling about it. Look at, look at the, I think it'll be on the screen, John 6. It says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. It was hard. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Have you ever, have you ever felt that, right? This desire to turn around and, and stop following Jesus, right? Whether you're too discouraged or it's just apathy, or you're overwhelmed with doubt, or your own, the own, own junk that has come from your disobedience. Maybe you just think you've fallen so far away from Jesus that there is no way back. And you think, do I really want to keep following? And then there's Peter, right? Peter, who is not the perfect disciple. <laughs> it's clear throughout the Gospels. But he gives this response, which is so simple and so powerful. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else would I go? Where else would you go? Life is with him. 
And you can go on doing it your own way, the easy way, life on your own terms, right? Exchanging meaning for what's easy, ex ex replacing hope and rest with striving. You can choose comfort over change. You can choose your way over his, and ultimately you'll be choosing death over life. But why? Why would you do that? The invitation is open. Sure, it is enter the narrow gate. That's what Jesus says. Enter the narrow gate. It's hard, but it leads to life. He took the hard way for you. I mean, it, Jesus, Jesus did this for us. He chose to come. He left glory. He died to offer life and forgiveness in a better way of living. He rose again to give us what we truly need. He made it possible for us to know him, to love him, to trust him. To, to follow him along the hard path that leads to life. So choose this hard road. Enter the narrow gate. Trust Jesus. It'll rarely be easy, but it will always be better. Let's pray. Father, I ask that your spirit would be active in teaching and convicting, comforting where it's needed. God, this is a hard text, but man, we have some good news that even though, even though we would choose the easy way every time, you chose, while we were still sinners, you chose to come be with us and die for us and offer us life. Um, I pray this morning that we would choose you, that we would accept your invitation to come and know you and follow you and do what you say. It's the best way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song. I mean, this beautiful song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. And, I, and I'd ask you, I'd encourage you to just let that, that question, am I trusting, who am I trusting? Let that resonate over as we sing this. You can even just let this song wash over you if you want to. But uh, Nate, lead us.